Let's open up to the book of Joshua. We're going to do chapter 8 and 9 tonight as we take a look at what the Lord has for us. And uh, it's exciting, actually, exciting times. As we take a look, we want to realize that as we study, especially as we study the Old Testament and as we're going through Joshua, Joshua is a book in particular that pictures for you and I how to enjoy, how to walk in the abundant life of Christ. The, the shadows of Joshua, the battles of Joshua, are just like the battles we face today. And we're going to see that. We've looked at, at two of those battles already, right? We looked at Jericho. And Jericho is a, is a symbol of the world, the battle against the world. And, and in that battle, what happened? They put all their faith and hope in Jesus Christ and the Lord, the captain of the Lord's army, right? That's Jesus that they spoke to and received their marching orders from. And as they marched against Jericho, as they came to that land, they, they were given the victory. God did it. Jesus said to you and I, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome. And that's pictured for us in the battle of Jericho. Well, then we read about Ai, right? The, the only defeat that Joshua is going to face. And Ai is a picture for us of the battle of our flesh. And oftentimes in the battle against the flesh, we struggle with self-confidence. Like they did against Ai. We don't need to send the whole army up there, Joshua. We got this handled. Right? The second mistake they made in their battle against Ai and the battle that we have against our flesh... They didn't seek out the Lord. Oftentimes when we're struggling against the flesh, we set our will against our flesh, you know, and uh, we should be warned. Paul did that in Romans chapter 7. And he said, the things that I know I ought to do, I don't do. The things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. Speaks about this wretched body, the wretched man that he is. Who will save me from this body of death? The battle against the flesh they they were confident in themselves they didn't seek the lord and then the 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 failure occurs because they were blatantly disobedient and the blatant disobedience of one man brought the failure of the entire army in the battle of ai and our blatant disobedience to what god has for us Brings us to failure to overcome the battles of the flesh. But then what occurred? Sin was in the camp. And so God called them to repent. Change their direction. Get the sin out from the midst of you. Stop playing games with it. Be focused on on living, being pure, righteous, holy before a holy God. They changed their mind. And God gave them a victory. God gave him the victory. We'll see as we take a look in chapter 8 tonight. So as you're there, let's, let's look at what God tells Joshua to do next. He says in chapter 8, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Now, by the way, you know how many times God's had to tell Joshua that? Just about every time he spoke to him. Why is that? Because that's our number one challenge. Why don't we share our faith with people? We're afraid. Why don't we step out in faith? We're afraid. So Joshua is in this place. They just suffered their first defeat, right? They lost to Ai. What are we going to do? They've taken the sin out of the camp, right? They've repented. They've done what was necessary to, to, to be in a righteous standing before a holy God. And then God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed or disheartened. Don't lose heart in the battle that it's before you. He says, take all the people of war with you. So if we want to do battle against the flesh, what does he say? You use everything you have. You don't just say this is a little thing. This is a small battle. You use every single resource that you can in the battle against the flesh. 
The reason so many times we fail at AI, you and I, in that battle against the flesh, because we, like Joshua, say, oh, just, we'll just put a little effort here. Oh, use all your resources. Use the Lord. Use all the spiritual resources that you have at your, at your fingertips. The Word of God, prayer, worship, gathering together with other saints, confessing your sins one to another, being forgiven, being held accountable. Anything that you can possibly do in the battle against the flesh, you use it all. See, Joshua, the Lord said, you take everybody. Don't leave nobody behind. You take them all. Take all these men, arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, and the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you will do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you will take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. That's God's instructions. He's laid out this, these instructions and. Joshua's going to expound on those instructions in a moment, and we'll get the entire plan. But one of the things we want to see as we take a look at it, the Lord laying this out for him, he said, listen, it's all yours this time. The first battle, Jericho, and the sin that stopped the people was that sin of selfishness. A sin that said, I want this thing. That's what Achan's problem was, right? Achan saw a Babylonian robe, and he said, I really want that robe. And he saw a wedge of gold. Then he said, I really want that wedge of gold. Then he saw about five pounds of silver. And he said, I really want those five pounds of silver. But what could he do with it? Could he put on the robe and wear it around town? No, because everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know that he took something he wasn't supposed to take. Could he take his gold and go spend it? No, nobody had gold. Why didn't anybody have gold? Because when the time came to build the tabernacle, the scripture says they gave it all. They gave everything they had. And the building, in fact, Moses had to tell the people, stop giving. Stop giving, there's too much. So he saw gold, he saw silver, and he cared about himself. What could he do with it all? All he could do with it is buried in his tent. Couldn't spend it, couldn't wear it. And for that, cost him everything. Isn't that how sin is? That's exactly how sin is. Because when we get into sin, we can't, we can't stay there in it. We can't wear it. What do we end up doing? Trying to cover it up. Dig a hole, bury it, and cover it up. Problem is, God knows it all, right? He wants us to deal with it. So they dealt with that sin of Achan, and they, and they paid the price. And if Achan had only waited one more battle, right? One more battle. If he had waited till Ai, he could have picked up anything he saw. He could have had any amount of gold he wanted. He could have had any amount of silver to pick up. But because his eyes were only focused on himself and what he thought his need was at the moment, that he, he brought the whole army of the children of Israel down for the selfishness of one man. He waited one more battle. Listen, anytime the devil's whispering in your ear or the flesh is rising up within you to do something, it's never going to pay off. Ever. It's always going to be too soon. God's going to have something in mind. He's going to do a work. Just hold on a little bit longer and it'll all be okay. So verse 3, Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us at the first that we will flee before them. And they will come out after us till we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as they did at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. And you shall arise from the ambush, seize the city for the Lord your God and deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you will set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Now Joshua, therefore, he sent them out, and they went and lie in ambush. 
and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Joshua, throughout the book of Joshua, becomes for you and I a picture of Jesus Christ. If we're going to have victory in a battle against the flesh, then we need to have Jesus Christ in the midst of us. We, we want to be where he is. What does scripture tell us? He's not at the bar. He's not at that party. He's wherever two or three are gathered, and he's in their midst. Where two or three believers are together, whether it's a home study, just to get together, just having dinner, whatever. We want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ desires to be in our presence. Even as Joshua stayed with the people, he stayed in their midst so that they would know, I'm here. And tomorrow we go out to battle. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So he's got this one group, 30,000 men behind the city, ready to go into the city when all the men of war come out after him. But he took another group of 5,000 men and he put them on the road between Bethel and Ai. Bethel and Ai were neighbors. And Joshua thought Bethel might see Ai in the battle over here and come to help. So if they come to help, we're going to put some guys right here. We're going to put some guys to take that city. Because that, that city at the time, though named by Jacob, is still was a Canaanite city. So, And it's one that's going to fall as well. So he sets those 5,000 guys. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. And it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out your spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. Anytime you study the great men and women of faith in the, in the Bible, you're going to discover something. That God, when he uses them, those men and women, he uses whatever is in their hand. Moses, it was a rod. For Joshua, at this point, it's his spear. Lift up your hand. Whatever is in your hands, whatever it is that we're doing, that's so often we think the only way that I can serve the Lord or do ministry is if what I have in my hands is a, <clears throat> is a Bible and I'm teaching someone. But it's not the case. Whatever is in your hands, David had a sling. Did God use his sling? Lift up your hands, David. God used his sling to, to destroy Goliath and begin to open up the doors of the kingdom for David. Over and over as we study through the great men and women used of God, God's going to use whatever's in their hands. So he raises his spear, and that's the signal for the 30,000 men behind the city to come into the city. Verse 19, so those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. So Joshua fakes running away. When the city's on fire, Joshua stops, turns around, and fights. And now those men who came away from the city not only have their city on fire that they were fighting for, being destroyed behind them, they also have a force of 30,000 men coming in from behind and a force of 5,000 to one side. So they're flanked 
and they have someone at their rear. Everywhere they turn, wherever they turn, there's someone to fight. They're surrounded. And when the men of Ai looked behind them and saw, behold, the smoke of the city, they lost heart. So now when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city, that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they had fallen by the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. It's interesting because every time we go through the battles of Joshua, people always feel sorry for the ones that were slain. Listen, one of the concepts that we really need to grasp through the Word of God is the truth that God is going to bring judgment. For 400 years, God waited for the Canaanites to repent. For 400 years, they did not turn. Every man, woman, and child in Ai knew that God had given the land into their hands. We know that because we heard that from Rahab. And Rahab said, we all know. In a moment, in the next chapter, we're going to see every king of every city-state in the entire area of Canaan knew that God had given the land to the children of Israel. Yet, they would not repent. They would not turn. What did Rahab do? She came to the spies and said, I, I, I want to leave everything so that I can serve this God. And what did she find? Salvation. We look at it and we think, oh my gosh, how could they slaughter men, women, and children. Maybe we need to read Revelation chapter 19. Because at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back, everyone who has rejected Him is going to be slaughtered. All gone. All dead. God gives us that warning of judgment to come at some time, at some point in history, when the prophetic clock begins to, to start up, I believe at the, at the moment that the Lord calls the church home, then that prophetic clock will wind seven years till we come to Revelation chapter 19. And all the while, God has said to the church, I am going to give everyone who wants life without me exactly what they asked for. We call that place hell. And he's going to give it to them. But for 2,000 years, the church has been saying, repent. Judgment day is coming. So when Jesus returns and that judgment day happens and the armies of Armageddon are destroyed and you have the judgment between the sheep and the goats and the Lord casts those in the outer darkness who have rejected Him and those who, who have uh, had an attitude toward Him are going to enter into that kingdom age. When that occurs, nobody has anybody to blame but themselves and their unwillingness to repent and receive salvation. That's all they got to do. If they don't, they get what they want. Uh, eternity without the Lord. And so our role, Joshua's role, our role is to, to tell at this point, but the day will happen in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus returns with all of his saints and we'll be there. Coming back, following him on his white horse, as he enters into battle, he don't need any of us because he's God. And that judgment is going to happen to anyone who rejects him. But that's not happened yet. 
For you and I, we're like in the middle of the 400 years that the, the, the Canaanites, you know, we're still in the midst of that somewhere. We're still somewhere in those years where we have opportunity for people to repent, turn to the Lord, receive salvation. But when that changes and we read the book of Revelation, what do we discover in the book of Revelation? They call them the earth dwellers. That understanding of that phrase, the earth dwellers, mean those who have put all their hope and faith in the earth, in the world, rejected Christ. That's why they never repent. That's why throughout all the things that occur in the book of Revelation, over and over it says, and yet they would not repent. Just like Ai. Just like Jericho. Just like Bethel. Just like all the other battles that we're going to see in the next few chapters. God's judgment is real. God is holy. God is righteous. And his requirement for mankind is right. He has given a way out. But if we do not take the way out, that judgment will fall. Just like it falls in Ai. Just like it happens here. So they have all been destroyed by the edge of the sword. So verse 26, for Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city. Israel took his booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the city gate, and raise over it a great heap of stones, which remains to this day. Ai. What do we see here? The scripture says to make no provision for the flesh. If you give the flesh an inch, the flesh will take a mile. You give the flesh anything. This is a great example. AI utterly destroyed. Everything wiped out. Heap, the city, everything done. That's what we're supposed to do with the flesh. That's why Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, they must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Deny ourselves. We must die daily for the Lord in our flesh. Because our flesh, there's nothing good in our flesh. Isn't that what Paul said? In my flesh there is no good thing. So make no provision for the flesh. When Abraham had two sons, right? Isaac and Ishmael. One was a son of promise, that's Isaac. One was a son of flesh, born of the bondwoman, according to Galatians chapter 4. His name was Ishmael. One symbolizes the spirit, the other symbolizes the flesh. When Abraham sent Ishmael away, he gave him no provision. Make no provision for the flesh. All the way through the scripture, the picture is painted. The flesh needs to be utterly destroyed. For we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he lives through me. This this is the, the ideal. When we were baptized, what did a baptism speak of? Our baptism speak, speaks of being dead to the old life and raised a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. Make no provision for the flesh. Let it go. Let it be destroyed. Now, Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal. This becomes a, a moment of, of a natural... A natural... This becomes a moment of a national bar mitzvah when Israel is going to declare themselves to be sons of the law. They've achieved the victory. In essence, what Joshua has done in these first two, three battles, if you count Bethel, what he has done is cut a swath across the middle of Canaan. Then he's going to turn to the south and to the north and finish the conquest. But right now he's cut it in half. Divide and conquer. And as it's been divided, he comes to Mount Ebal, and they're going to set up stones of remembrance. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones 
over which, which no man had wielded an iron tool. And they offered it on burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. You remember why God said to build the altar and not to make it pretty? He said, just use whatever stones you find. Make a pile of stones, that'll be the altar. Because in the pagan rituals, the altars were fancy. Gold, you know, all cut, all neat, and, and looked all cool, you know. But God didn't want the focus of the men to be the altar. He wanted their focus to be on the sacrifice. Because the sacrifice is the picture, right? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so the Lord said, no fancy stones, no, no special tools. And they built an altar and they gave peace offerings, thanks, thanksgiving offerings, free will offerings to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the victory. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. What did they remember to do in their battle against the flesh when they had the victory? They gave the glory to where it belonged. It wasn't a battle they won. It was a battle God won for them, that God gave them. So they're going to glorify him. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. This becomes a, a pillar of remembrance. A pillar of remembrance. It's not uncommon in the world at that time for them to set up a heap of stones. So we've got the altar over there, sacrifice being given, and a heap of stones. And on those, that heap of stones, he's going to write the law. That doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. He's going to write all the law that Moses commanded them. That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of writing. Maybe the whole book of Deuteronomy, some say, the whole book of Deuteronomy and all those teachings of Moses as he went back over that in his sermons. But whatever the case, he writes it all. And all of Israel, with their elders, officers, and judges, stood on either side of the ark, before the priests and the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them, half of them were on the front of Mount Gerizim, half of them were on Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they would bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings, the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. He read all that. They build a pillar. They do the sacrifices. They are in a place called Shechem. Shechem. Shechem is a place where Abraham received the Abrahamic covenant. Shechem is a place where Jacob dug a well. Shechem is a place where Jesus said, I need to go hang out by a well here. Because there's a woman that's going to come to this well and she needs salvation. All of that in the same spot where Joshua is reading the law, the place which would become known as uh, the Samaria, where the Samaritans or the half-breeds would be from. That's where they find themselves building their pillar of remembrance. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, the strangers who were living among them. They became Joshua, a man of the word, and the people became people of the word. Still today, you go to Israel, and you go to an orthodox place, where you have orthodox uh, Jewish people who are practicing Judaism. And you come to a young man who's about to enter into his bar mitzvah age. You know what he's studying? The book of Deuteronomy. He memorizes it. So that from memory, he can recite the book of Deuteronomy. In Hebrew. He's not playing Xbox. He's not watching movies. He's not got an iPod plugged into his head. Though he probably has an iPod. And he probably has an Xbox. But there's a commitment though not to the Lord Jesus Christ at this point, in the Orthodox uh, Judaism, there's a commitment to the Word. Memorize the Word. 
It was a trip. I walked up to this little 13-year-old boy while we were eating, and I said, okay, I hear you've memorized Deuteronomy. Let me have it. Of course, uh, how could I tell? He was speaking Hebrew. But he was letting it rip, man. He was, his dad was just as proud as he could be standing on the side, and they were people of the book. The problem is that they're so focused on the words on the page that they miss the inference on every verse. Because Jesus said, every single point points to me, points to the Messiah. But their eyes are blinded and they can't see. So there we go. We got Jericho, a battle against the world. We got AI, the battle against the flesh. We got one more. Plenty of time. One more. Chapter 9. It came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast and the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, Amorite, Canaanite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite heard about it. They gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. And they went and pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and parched, patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal. Now here we have the guys of Gibeon. The Gibeons were about seven miles away from Ai. Not very far away. But this battle, if you would call it that, symbolizes our battle against the devil. Jericho is our battle against the world. Ai is our battle against the flesh. Gibeons are the battle against the devil. And the devil is what? A liar. He is a stinking liar. All he knows how to do is tell a lie. He'll mix just enough truth in to get you to buy it. But the devil was a liar from the beginning. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 8? He called the Pharisees sons of, of Satan. That they were just like their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. And that they were just like him, speaking lies. So what do we see? The Gibeons, seven miles away from Ai, but they, begin, they dress themselves up like they're all tattered. Like they've been on a long journey. And they gather for themselves moldy bread. Like the bread was good at one time, but now it's moldy because they've been on a long journey. And they got themselves wine skins and they patched them. So they look like at one time the wine skins were good, but they've been having to repair them on their long journey. And they went to Joshua. Let's look at it. They went to Joshua at Gilgal. And they said, we've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. They want a treaty. They want a treaty. Let's make a treaty. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, hey, 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 perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? Remember what God said? You can make a covenant with the people outside of Canaan. But anybody inside Canaan, no covenant, no peace, no treaty. You destroy them all. Wipe them all out. So these guys come to him. They want to make a treaty. Uh, But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where did you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his name and all that he did in Egypt. That's just like the devil. This is just like every cult and ism today. And every battle that we'll ever do against the devil. What? They, they come all sounding all good. Oh, we've come because of the name of the Lord your God. There's all kind of cults, guys, who use the name Jesus. And you say, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, sure I believe in Jesus. But it's a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Jesus of our books or the Jesus of our magazines. But it's not what the clear reading of the Word of God declares. The clear reading of the Lord of the Word of God leads you to the understanding that Jesus is who we teach him to be. God in the flesh. We see that clearly. But here, what how's the how does the Gibeonites come to him? Oh, lying. Lying. 
Not nothing is a truth. And they want to say, oh, it sounds good. Yeah, they use the name of our God. But they don't believe in him. They don't worship him. They don't follow him. But they also go on and say, in verse 10, And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, Sion of Heshbon and Og of Bashan. Therefore our elders and the inhabitants of our country spoke to us and said, Take provisions for your journey, and go and meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore, make peace with us. Again, they say, Hey, we know about all these battles. We know about your coming from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea. We know about the battles on the other side of the Jordan with Og of Bashan. We know of the, the victories that your God has given you. We know the battles of Jericho. We know the battles of Ai. And we want to make peace with you. But we're not from here. We're from a long ways away. And we want peace. In verse 12, this bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled, they were new. And see, they're torn. And these are garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Verse 14 says, The men of Israel took some of their provision... But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Y'all was going to get into trouble with that. Satan sounds good, guys. He sounds good. He can, he can appear as an angel of light. I find that remarkable. Do you know how many religions began as a revelation passed down from an angel of light? Two really big ones. They both start with the letter M. Mormonism and the Muslim or Islam. Angel of light appeared to me and gave me this. Interesting. Isn't that inter- that's interesting to me. For Paul said, if an angel of light or anybody else comes and gives you any other gospel, let him be anathema, accursed. And what we, and it sounds good. It sounds good. They could come to your door and spin you around an axle, and that's what their job is. And the, it sounds great, man. They're saying the name Jesus, and they're talking about God, and all this stuff sounds good. But it's all lies. Every bit. All lies. All lies meant to deceive. And the reason the children of Israel failed in their non-battle with the Gibeonites is because they didn't consult with the Lord. If Joshua had said, Lord, what's the deal with these guys? Should we make peace with them? They come from a long ways away. You think God would have said, oh yeah, yeah, sure. God would have said, no, they don't. They come from about seven miles away. They, they just left today. It took them like 25 minutes to get here. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no long journey. There's no craziness. Don't, you know, God would have said, but they didn't seek the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? And then what? Lean not, Lean not into your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He'll direct your path. So this is how we deal with the battle against Satan. He's good at lying. He's been at it for a long time. Since the beginning, since Eden, he is the first liar and the first murderer. Right? He murdered Adam and Eve. When he deceived them, they died. And from that point, he's good, man. He's not going to come at you with a pitchfork and pointy ears, all red, you know, slobbering, looking all. He's going to come to you, this beautiful angel. Oh, my gosh. And he's going to say all these great things, and they're going to sound good. 
So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean into your own understanding about what someone says. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. The Bible lays out for us that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. But here it says, So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. They made a promise to them and they swore to their promise by the name of Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh. They said, you know, we swear as God is our witness, we'll have peace. So they left. And the children of Israel, then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Whoops. Now their cities were Gibeon, Cherb, you got it, Beeroth and Kirjath-Jerim, which comes up later on. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. What do you mean? There are enemies. They were just a few miles away. Here we are. There they are. We find out that they lied to them. So the people are irritated and mad at the rulers. That's a nice way of saying that they're all mad at who? Joshua. Joshua. They're all mad at Joshua. Joshua, what are you doing? You're killing me. So all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And so therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath we have sworn to them. So even though they were deceived, even though they were fooled, they let their yes be yes. And they honored their promise. They never went to war against the Gibeonites. They made peace. And the peace stood. And the, the devil gets one over on them because they did not seek the Lord in whatever they were doing. Another time, there's this fellow named Abraham. Everybody remember Abraham? Old, older, holy guy. And he had a nephew. Remember him? Nephew's name is Lot. And Abraham and Lot, they had huge herds. And their people were starting to fight with one another. So Abraham grabbed Lot and said, Lot, let's go to this high mountain. And he takes him over to this high mountain and he says, Lot, listen, we're too big to dwell together, so we need to spread apart a little bit. So I'll tell you what, Lot, wherever you want to go, if you go east, I'll go west. You go north, I'll go south. You tell me where you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And the scripture says, that Lot lifted up his eyes to the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, oh, look at all that water. Look at all that green field. Look at all that good stuff. I'm going there. But he didn't lift up his eyes and ask the Lord. God, where should I go? He said, I got this one. This is obvious. Big green field, big cities, nice place to raise a family. It's really going to work out well, right? Because Lot's family does really good in Sodom and Gomorrah, don't they? Yeah, it doesn't work out so good. Pretty soon, Lot pitches his tent toward. Next thing you know, he's in the gate. That means he's one of the rulers. He's somehow in the politics of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when the angel comes to get him out, how much of his family gets to come with him? Two daughters. He loses his wife and all his other children. And it all traces back to one day standing on a mountain with his uncle Abraham and making a decision without seeking the Lord. If Lot had said, Lord, where should I go? Do you think the Lord would have had him go to Sodom and Gomorrah? The Lord would have said, no, here, stay away from that place. I know the future here. It's not good. 
you'd be better off over there. But he didn't. He didn't consult with the Lord. He didn't seek the Lord. How many times do we make decisions on, uh, you know what, I think I'm going to change jobs. Did we seek the Lord? I think I'm going to move. I think I'm going to sell this or I'm going to do that or I make these plans or I made those plans. And we just think, I got this. And so we just make the plans. But we don't seek the Lord. How do we know who's whispering those ideas in our ear? How do we, not, how do we know that, that that's the direction God would have us go? Am I saying that God's never going to have you move somewhere where you're going to have hard times and difficulties? No, that's not what I'm saying. But at least if you seek the Lord, you know I'm supposed to be there. And I'm supposed to be going through this because I sought the Lord. And he brought me to this place. But they didn't seek him, and the devil gets one over. Now, what did the devil decide? Here's what the devil decided. It's important. The devil said, I can't beat him, so I will join him. And so, what happens to the children of Israel? In the midst of them, they have these little idolatrous people who are going to lead them into idol worship and take them into bondage because they didn't seek the Lord. So when the church was going through all that persecution and the devil discovered, the more I persecute this cotton-picking church, the more it grows, what did he do? He joined He's been on the docks of membership within the church ever since. Because it's a whole lot easier to mess it up from the inside, right? Than it is from the outside. We know the church thrives in persecution. It struggles in times of plenty, in the land of plenty, like where we are. Where we get complacent. We're not hungry. We don't have to rely on the Lord. And we say, it's a little battle. It's a little thing. I got this one, God. Don't worry about it. We want to learn from these three battles. The battle against the world, that's won by faith. Put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he will give us the victory. The battle of the flesh, we got to use every resource that's available to us and not be confident in ourselves, but be confident in the Lord and his direction and his plan. And our battle against the devil requires us to be seeking the face of God every single step. Otherwise, you don't know. You don't know where you're walking, where you're going, or, or how you're going to get there. We want the abundant life, right? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. If you can raise your hand and say, you know what? I am enjoying the abundant life right now. I got it all. I got everything that God has for me. I'm walking in the midst of it. Then the lesson is probably not for you. But if you, like the rest of us, do not have everything that God has for you and do not enjoy all the promises that God has laid out for us and are not walking in that abundant life, then look at the battles. Where are we struggling? Is it the battle with the world? Because Jesus said a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed, and that seed was amongst the thorns, and the thorns choked out the fruitfulness. Do you remember what the thorns were? The cares of this world. And the battle against the world, do we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Is he our main thing? Or is it our stuff? Or maybe we're struggling with the flesh and we're just playing games with it and we're not really totally giving that stuff over to the Lord like he wants us to give it. So we use all our resources, the word, prayer, our brothers and sisters, body, everything we can to keep us accountable and to give us victory in the battle against the flesh. And the battle against the devil is the worst at all. He's sneaky. He's going to try to join the club. So we have to seek the Lord in every decision we make. And then by faith, believe God's directing us. That's what he requires. That's what we want to experience victory. It says, scripture says in verse 22, Joshua called for them. And he said, why have you deceived us, saying, we were very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you will be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers, for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and they said, Because your servants were clearly 
told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. They knew. They knew that God required them to repent and they refused to repent and now judgment was falling and they were looking to make a deal with the devil to stay out of judgment. Don't feel bad for the Canaanites. They understood what was going on and they were rejecting what God wanted to do for them and through them. So he said, Therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. Now here we are in your hands. Do with us as seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so they would not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. The neat thing about that, while all the people are complaining about Joshua, I think I would have complimented him. Because even though he was wrong, he stood by his word. That's something that God calls us to do. There was a time, once upon a time, that you used to be able to say, my word is my bond, and you didn't have to sign 47 different documents and triplicate and pay some lawyer or some place to say for sure you're not lying. Didn't used to be that way. God wants us to be men and women of, of our word. He also says in the word, if you swear to something, even to your own hurt, keep your vow. Keep your promise. And that's what we see Joshua doing here. Keeping his promise. Now we have to say, am I going to learn the lesson of these three battles and those same battles I fight day in and day out? And if we will, the abundant life is right around the corner. It's always too soon to give up. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have, Lord, and we can come before you and Lord, just seek your face. Lord, I thank you for this time we can spend in your word. I thank you that, that every single piece of this word God has given to us that, that we might know and understand that your word is true. And it's all living and it's all powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and it's going to guide me. It's going to direct me. It's going to lead me if I am willing to not just be a hearer, but a doer also. God, teach us the lessons of Joshua and help us enter into that abundant life, the rest that we find in Christ, all that you have for us, that we might possess all that you have for us. And Lord, we lay this time in your hands. God, we pray your blessing on it through it in Jesus' name. Amen.